0: Hey everybody, uh, I am super excited about this episode today, I have a really interesting interview with another Millennial and Adventist in Ukraine, uh, and we're gonna talk about the differences between young Adventists in the U.S. and young people in the church there. I just realized, like, at this point, how young are we, Millennials? (laughs) Uh, but okay, Millennials, we'll just say that. Uh, then I'm gonna talk about the question of how to change society, and if we can, are we right to? Uh, but first I want to remind you that if you ever have thoughts, questions, objections, you can email me at AdventistMillennial at gmail.com. Also remember to follow the Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram pages for more cool content that comes out throughout the week. Uh, so like, what are you doing? Why are you just sitting there? Let's get to the good part. (music) Guys, I think you're really going to enjoy this. I know I definitely did. Um, but first of all, to start out, I guess, in college, I spent my obligatory Adventist college mission year, uh, as a student missionary in Ukraine, and maybe I'll talk about that experience in some, like, nebulous future episode, but basically, that year really grew and changed me, and even though I was ready to, like, GTFO by the end of (laughs) the time I was supposed to be there, it did leave me with a real affection for Ukraine and its people. Um, and that was back in 2010, and I hadn't been back there, uh, until last summer. And that is where I met Vita, the cool and awesome person that you're about to hear from. Uh, she's a millennial and an Adventist, and you'll probably like her just as much as I do. First of all, just so everybody can meet you, will you tell us what your name is and where you're from, and just a little bit about yourself?
1: Okay, Um, my name is Vita, and I'm from Ukraine. Uh, For those who just made like a little, huh, Ukraine? (laughs) Is this my countryside? (laughs) Uh, Well, I want to tell that this is a country, like a real country, (laughs) and the independent one. (laughs) Um, Though it is not bigger than Texas, in uh, territory uh, but it is a country um, it is not far from Germany and Russia it's in Eastern Europe and um, I have been living here since my childhood and I'm still here
0: <laughs> okay um so can you tell us a little bit like ha- have you been an Adventist all your life if not how did you become an Adventist that sort of thing
1: um I I'm not from the SDA family uh, from my childhood and uh, uh I came to no I got to know about the church when I was um 12 or 13. I was invited to attend the Founder club meetings. Oh, nice. <laughs> 12, right? Um and uh, i i i attended the Pathfinder club for like four years or till i I was 15. after that i entered the college and then the university and um, i forgot about the church for some time but when i was um, 18 i came back to the church um, because i wanted to to be the Vita, which I was when I was attending the Pathfinder Club meetings. Yeah. And um, uh, I came back to the church, but I got baptized only when I was 22, I guess. So it was quite a long time to take that decision. Yeah, yeah. So
0: um, what do you think you there were some good memories that you had from your childhood that made you drew you back is that what you mean when you say that was the vita you wanted to be
1: oh yeah um that can sound a little bit weird but um when i was in uh, in college and then in the university i was usually surrounded uh, by people who didn't know anything about the church or about like the faith or things like that and that's why they were just up to different parties different things like um, uh, you know like taking um, they were having like bad habits let's call it so yeah and uh, yeah. Uh, sometimes they suggested to try all that and I, I, pre- I realized pretty well that I didn't get the feelings and emotions which I wanted to get from all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, like in the morning, I was also like ashamed. Oh, what happened? Why did I even try that? Uh, I didn't try something like. Oh my! I can't tell about that to my children. <laughs> no, not the bad, but. Still, like, uh, to, to make the things short, I just didn't get um, satisfaction from the things that were suggested to me by the friends from the world. Mm. But when I was communicating with the people, with the kids in the Passfinder Club and in the church, uh, I got, like, the I felt content. And uh, I wanted to feel it back, to, to, to have that feeling back. So I decided to go back to the church and to find out if it was really that place where I could get that feeling back.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, because sort of Christianity is relatively, um, has spread relatively recently in your country compared to the United States would you say okay. that a lot of people become become Adventists instead of are born into an Adventist family um
1: if we speak about the Millennials right uh, then yes probably most of them are f- uh, becoming the Adventist they are not born in the SD families but uh like well, the for example like the the kids who are now at school of course if they are in the church mm-hmm. then it means that they are from the adventist family
0: yeah okay so people of our generation or older have usually become adventists yeah. okay yeah. that's interesting yeah, yeah. i didn't really think about that because you know here in the united states um Obviously, Adventist movement started here, so there are plenty of people whose families have been Adventists, like mine, for like four generations. So I think that's common here, and that's an interesting difference between kind of Adventists our age in the U.S. and there. Because most of the time, um, I guess, people choose it there if they're our age, rather than here, they just kind of have it as a culture
1: and that's why I think that in your case it's even more difficult <laughs> because when, like when I came to the church I had this you know like breaking point and it was like um, I, I, I saw the changes in my life mm-hmm. and I knew what was changing but I, I also have friends who are from uh, the Adventist families and it is very difficult for them to sometimes to answer the question why i am in the church like when is the time when the religion of my parents should become my religion Hmm. yeah Uh, it's i don't know (laughs) i feel sometimes i feel that i even don't know what to say to to those friends (laughs) because
0: yeah i think that's uh, yeah i think that (laughs) People in the U.S. would really identify with those people. Because I feel like for my peers, that's kind of the similar problem. Is like um, they've grown up with it, and it's not really theirs in the sense that it doesn't mean something deeply because it's just been what they've done. And so they end up leaving because they don't know why they believe what they believe, or even if they do believe it. So, um, have you, I guess... Um, my next question would be, uh, what about Adventism specifically is important to you? Obviously, you've talked about how you you felt your life different, um, but is there anything specific to Adventism that, that you feel helped, made you choose that over some other denomination? Uh,
1: for me, the main thing was, um, like, to find the, the church which corresponds everything what is written in the Bible, and uh, uh, every sermon which I heard in the Adventist Church was based on Bible verses, and that made me believe, and that strengthened the faith, and like no no controversies from what God said and between what God said and what pastor in the church <laughs> says.
0: Yeah.
1: Hopefully uh, that made me stay in in this church.
0: Yeah. Um, so, would you say that, that it's a, just in general the culture in Ukraine is a secular culture?
1: Oh, yeah. Especially young people they don't care, like they are good and they care about some, I don't know, nature, and <laughs> about uh, their friends, but they don't care about God. Like, okay, you can believe everything you want. I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Like they respect what you believe, your beliefs, but they are just the ma- majority of young people in Ukraine don't care about churches. Yeah, Okay, you can go wherever whatever you want to go.
0: <laughs> I hope you guys were as fascinated by that interview as I was. Uh, it reminded me about how different our experiences as Adventists, even across the same generation, uh, can be because of our country and our culture. Even though I lived in Ukraine for a year, <laughs> it never really even crossed my mind to think about the fact that Since the USSR ended in the 90s, most of our generation was already born. Um, I think a huge part of our struggle in the US is reckoning with Adventism as the culture that we were born into, and it's completely different there. Um, I also think it's interesting that the social culture in Ukraine is very secular, which is something that we in the US are heading towards. We're becoming more secular. but at the same time, we're already much more progressive socially, so we're kind of passing each other on the way, I guess. Um, Interesting. But anyway, if you're sad that that's the end, stop it! That's not the end! Unfortunately, because I want to keep this podcast to a reasonable length, I'm going to cut it off there, but luckily for you, I'm going to post a video of the whole interview on Facebook and YouTube, and I'll probably do that on Wednesday. So keep an eye out for that because the rest of it, um, we talk about some other interesting things. Okay, now is the part where I yell at you and tell you to knock it off with this whole changing society thing. I mean, seriously, what are you trying to do? Make the world a better place or something? Like, sit down. (laughs) I'm just kidding, kind of. Uh, let's talk about changing the world. How do you do it, first of all? Well, there are really only three ways that I can think of, so let's just walk through them. Um, The first way, of course, is force. Uh, You can come in and control people's behavior so that even if they don't agree with you, (coughs) compliance committee, (coughs) sorry I had something in my throat, Um, you get the surface level outward change even if you don't get genuine change with force. This is also the legalism that many people, including myself, have pushed back against. It's what happens in totalitarian societies like the infamous 1984. Um, George Orwell's main character, Winston, begins to question whether he's willing to continue bending his free thought and individuality to the oppressive force of a completely totalitarian government. But Ultimately, he's forced into submission, just like everyone else, Um, and there's another very interesting conversation that could be had here about who has really won the battle and whether you can really own someone without killing their soul, Uh, but that's a discussion for another day. So the long and short of it is if you have to resort to force to make your social change, um, that might be a good hint that it's not a change you should be trying to make. The attitude that what you know is so much better than what everyone else is able to understand, that you have to make them comply with you unconvinced, is not only counterproductive, it's a perfect recipe for making a rubble out of anything good, really, Um, and for making everyone hate you at the same time so that even if you could have convinced them, you never will now because you've broken them instead. Now, don't get me wrong, just because nobody agrees with you does not mean the majority are correct. You may, in fact, be very much correct in your minority opinion. Uh, The part where it becomes sinister is when you take your minority opinion and take it to the majority and impose it on them. Uh, So, who of us as Christians think that God is wrong in his minority opinion that living a life of love is better than living a life of selfishness, as the majority of the world does? Uh, But we don't see God going around creating compliance committees (laughs) to deal with Lucifer. So, option one, change the world by force. Um, just go ahead and drop that one in the garbage. So what's option number two? Uh, This one is not a physical use of force, but it's still a form of coercion. This is propaganda. Propaganda changes people's minds subtly and ideally without them knowing it. Uh, Edward Bernays, the father of propaganda as he's often called, uh, knew how to change society very well. Uh, He's the guy that informed the Don Drapers of the world that advertising to the public with a phrase like, it's toasted, uh, would ease people's mind about smoking even though all tobacco was toasted. It's pretending to be informative while simply taking another softer route to make you comply. In fact, in his book entitled Propaganda, Uh, Edward Bernays says this, truth is mighty and must prevail. And if anybody of men believe that they have discovered a valuable truth, it is not merely their privilege, but their duty to disseminate that truth. If they realize, as they quickly must, that this spreading of truth can be done upon a large scale and effectively only by organized effort, they will make use of the press and the platform as the best means to give it wide circulation. Propaganda becomes vicious and reprehensive only when its authors consciously and deliberately disseminate what they know to be lies, or when they aim at effects which they know to be prejudicial to the common good. Now, the first part of that is great. Christianity loves that part. If you believe you have a truth, you're obligated to share it, um, because truth is mighty, it must prevail, sure, of course, great. but. If you've been listening to me at all on this podcast, you know exactly where I am going to disagree. Bernays says that if you influence en masse with propaganda that you know is a lie, then it's bad. But if you propagandize on a large scale with truth, well, that's fine. And I say,
1: no, wrong.
0: If you influence the masses with propaganda, that's bad. The end over finished. Now, why, you ask? Well, for exactly the same reason that it's bad if you sell everyone a lie. They have not chosen to believe what you told them because they were convinced. They've been made to believe it underhandedly. So, even if you're propagandizing a truth, you're still removing people's free choice to accept that truth. If your end goal is an outcome, the actions of society, then certainly propagandize or force away. Your outcome is justified if it's just an action. But if, like God, your end goal is to let everyone choose the path they want to take because their choice is only meaningful if they choose it, you can't influence large swaths of people. This is why I don't like the idea of, like, celebrities and social media influencers. If your goal is to have a large highly suggestible audience you have the wrong goal and let's be honest <laughs> if you're one of those personalities like the cult of personality creates a highly suggestible audience they listen to you because you're you um now you may be saying wait a minute jesus made some pretty sweeping changes with christianity didn't he well that brings me to the third way of changing the world the way that jesus did it person to person one by one Over a long period of time. And even then, the majority of people still choose to reject it. Jesus' social media influence was 12. 12 people. But his ideas, his actions, his love was personally felt and understood by those 12, well, 11 if you like, um, in his circle. And it grew from there. It seems like the constant conversation all around me is How do we create change? How do we fix these gigantic looming problems in our society that we all see? How do we make everyone see the light and agree with us? Um, but I think these are ultimately counterproductive questions, because if you're going to change society on a large scale, you're going to end up degrading it further because you're going to have to use either force or propaganda. People don't change their minds of their own free will on a large scale Um, you have to change people's minds individually one by one and through relationships so you guys give up your causes give up your podiums your platforms your propaganda and you know just get to know a few like I don't know say 12 people just a number off the top of my head Um, get to know those 12 people And give selflessly to your circle, share your ideas, learn how to live in harmony with those few, and while you're at it, you might just change yourself and that is a pretty huge accomplishment for one life. I'm attempting to do this myself. Um, My aim with this podcast is not to reach millions of people, Uh, I want to have a small community of people who I know I can learn and grow with, and if that spreads, it's because it's something that people choose, not because it slid up in their consciousness. Uh, So one of the ways I'm trying to constantly remind myself of my real goal, is on Instagram. If you're following me there, you might have seen that each week I'm trying to do something I call the Be Selfless Challenge, where I think of a way to make myself personally sacrifice something that I don't want to in order to grow my character. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how grown it is, but it feels like my character should be pretty fully well-rounded out by now. Um. But anyway, this week I challenged myself to only look at my phone for 10 minutes a day in an effort to put more into being productive rather than being self-indulgent on social media. Well, I tried this. It's much harder than you, you think or than I thought it was going to be. Um, not that I'm getting those phantom vibrations or anything, (laughs) but just that there's a lot of important stuff that actually does happen on my phone, so 10 minutes is not long enough to deal with that stuff. Um, but I didn't want to just give up the challenge because of hashtag technology and hashtag current year. Um, and I think I came up with something that still maintained the spirit of what I was trying to do. I ended up just leaving my phone at home when I went to work all week so that I could only look at it in the morning and the evening and once when I came home for lunch. Um, And this was enough to do things that were actually important but still prevented me from letting my whole day slip away on Twitter while I was supposed to be working. Uh, Then, of course, you have the fact that my job involves a lot of social media, which I have to do on a computer anyway, so that's a whole nother twine that's hard to untwist, but. You guys, I do recommend trying something like this. It helped me sort of reprioritize and remember that I'm not trying to change the world or to have the world see what I'm doing or what I think. I'm just trying to be my best, become my best, and share that with the people who want to listen and want to grow together. Okay, so thank you. Thank you for choosing to listen. Hopefully nobody coerced you to do it. Um, And please let me know what you think. Send me propaganda and pictures of food and have a great weekend. Oh, hey everybody. I'm back again one more time. Uh, In the middle of editing this, I just realized how annoyingly loud and squeaky my chair is. So if you're bothered by this, I am now welcoming and accepting office chair sponsorships. So feel free to inbox me. Okay, great. Have a good weekend. Bye.